This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Carnivore Snacks. With only two ingredients, meat and salt, Carnivore Snacks is a clean way to stay healthy on the go with a quick and convenient meal. Perfect for travel, at the office, or even on the couch when you need that meat fix. Unlike other brands, Carnivore Snacks is light, flaky, Crispy. It is not jerky, it's a meat pastry. My personal favorite is the pork, which is light and flaky, perfectly salty. The beef sliders gives a great crunch and a perfect chip replacement. The ribeye is loaded with fat and melts in your mouth. All of their meat is grass finished, sourced from white oak pastures, and regeneratively raised. Support this small business and this podcast. Check out carnivoresnacks.com. And use code Laura Eastbath for a 15% discount on your first order. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common Denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk,、yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe、yeah. some fresh air,、uh, and and stay happy and healthy and and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my fabulous co host, Judy Cho. Hi, Judy. How was Los Angeles lately? It was good.、Um, you know, we went there to do a really quick trip just to record,、um, I guess, my story and how I've healed so much on a carnivore journey. And then just sharing some of that science、um, on a international documentary that hopefully、uh, millions of people will be able to see and then try on their own and, you know, realize that maybe standard care's food pyramid is not the way to kind of eat for healing. They're going to come、um, talk about a vegan diet versus a carnivore diet in that documentary and kind of explore which one is better, right? So that was the plan.、Um, I think they're pivoting a little bit. So, what I understood from the, the producer was that they had some like famous vegan, and then she was like being sketchy about where to go and interview and do all this stuff. And so, in the end, they ended up canceling on her. So, I think it might just be about carnivore and the diet. And so it's going to be my story. And then they're sharing also、um, Sean Baker's story. But either way, they're going to get the message out there. I know they talked to your parents、uh, too about their healing. And、um, so you'll get to show that generational aspect and really just healing from a carnivore diet. That's even better just to get the message out there and not have to deal with the debate back and forth. Like people can kind of hear the information and decide for themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you did a recording. Similar, right? I mean, so I like I saw that、um, that post with Brian Sanders. So it's you're in his film, right? Brian Sanders is making the Food Lies movie, which I know a lot of us have donated to help support.、Um, that got put on hold a little bit because of COVID over the last year. and But he has picked back up and they're finishing filming. I think so. They came to our house and filmed our family and then filmed with my mom to got her out here to. Same thing, talk about a generational healing of eating a meat based diet, whole foods coming from 
you know, previous standard American diet where we were all able to kind of reverse our metabolic damage, lose weight and heal getting off of that standard American junk food diet and onto whole foods, meat based. Um, I believe they're in the editing phase now and they're done. I think we were the last people to film. So I know people are really excited for that film to come out eventually. And so hopefully we'll see that um, in the next year or so. Do you know how he's releasing it or any of that information? I don't. I know he's really just, I think at this point he's still open to what he wants to do, um, but they're really excited to do that. Yeah. You know, I'm really glad you told me kind of like the behind the scenes of how much work, you know, just like you have an idea of like what you want to represent and how right. different it's going to be. And so I knew that. So you said it's hours, it's exhausting. And so I kind of prepped myself. So I already knew it would be tiring. And I told that to my husband and family, and I don't think they had any idea. So when we were recording for 10 plus hours, they were just so tired by the end. Um, I had to prep the kids and like use the iPad strategically, like when I needed them to be quiet versus like get them out of the house and stuff. But they, I also told Brian and the filmmakers, like, I can't promise you what the kids are going to (laughs) say. Like, don't expect them to act like everything's perfect. They eat other things sometimes. So if you straight up ask them their favorite food, like Nathaniel might say ice cream or that he might say steak. I don't know what he's going to say. It's going to depend on how you word the question and how he feels in the moment. So. Yeah, well, they asked our kids that same question of like, what's your favorite food? And I could totally tell because one of the guys is a journalist and he has interviewed everybody you can think of. So even the China study, he interviewed the guy, the father and the son that made that study. He's interviewed people like on anti-vaccines and NASA and like literally everything. And so I could tell he was trying to question if I was like, valid with my information about my kids so he's like so what's your favorite food and then you know at first they're like looking at me and then it's like okay should we say meat kind of look and then they were like ramen and I was like oh my gosh and then he asked the next question is like how often do you eat it and then they said maybe once a month and I was like oh thank thank goodness for that right but yeah, I mean, it's, um, I think that's real life. And it's fine. Um, I'm sure some people will see it and be like, Oh, how sad they only get to eat their favorite food once a month. But I wish they didn't eat that, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we that's the thing. If you know, we talked in um, our patients episode about moderators versus abstainers, and yeah. really digging into that and knowing that if you are a moderator, and you want to have something like that once a month, and their kids who I talk all the time about my kids. They're not coming from metabolic damage. They're not coming from food issues. They're not coming from a lifetime of a damaging relationship with food that they can have those things occasionally. And hopefully it does teach them balance moving forward. But because I'm somebody who can't handle that, who has overindulged most of my life, I once a month is too much for me, much too much. That's torture for me. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with it. I know we're going to maybe in the future, like have a full episode talking about the kids and stuff in general. But and one thing I just want to tell everyone that's listening is, you know, we shared our stories because I mean, the whole point is like, I don't I mean, I don't think you got paid, right, Laura, like, I definitely didn't get paid. I mean, they paid for our, you know, like cost of food and I guess flying out there. But really, it's to take the time to share our stories so that other people can heal, right. And so everyone can do that. Um, You could do it with your coworkers, your friends, if people are like, wow, you look good, or, you know, you look like you have more energy, or you're, wow, you have your period back, or now you're pregnant, or whatever the reason is, I mean, this is where you have the opportunity to help someone get better. And it's not easy. I mean, having to tell people, and I cared more about being thin than anything else. And that got me into a mental hospital on New Year's Eve without even me remembering any of that. That's super embarrassing, honestly. And and to share all of that. But knowing that, hey, maybe I could help even five people, six people. I mean, that's why I shared. Um, it's not like the glamour, like it's it's more, it's honestly really embarrassing. But I know that it's also that I've come so far and I'm totally willing to share that. And I, I know this is the same for you, Laura. I'm sure you don't love sharing like all your past pictures and all that. But if it can help someone, like why not, right? Yeah. Even now, like when I'm struggling now and having a hard time, I, you know, mentioned the other day that I still, you think after all these times, like I made the mistake of buying a Sam's club package of cheese, cheddar cheese slices. And I'm pretty sure I ate the whole thing in three days. Like, and I'm not talking a little thing that you get at the normal grocery store. Like this is a massive brick 
of cheddar cheese slices that I got, you know, at Sam's club. And I still struggle. I really don't want to talk about it. I want to just fix it myself and move on. Um, and I think sometimes I'll, you know, even express that out to try to show people kind of where I'm at in my thought process and hopefully help them. But I also, at the same time, like don't need anybody's advice about like, I want to do what I want to do and I'm sharing to hopefully help people, but I don't, um, I don't know. It's that, that wasn't really the point of what I was trying to say, but it is the same thing. Like even now is my point is that I try to do that where this is not easy for me all the time. Still, I'm not healed. I'm not perfect. I'm not fixed. I still have a lot of, um, battles that I'm, that I deal with and just trying to share some of that is hard. Um, and you still feel a lot of that shame. I think you, you said embarrassment, but I think a lot of that comes from shame as well. And, um, trying to express that, you know, and and just help people understand what's going on behind the scenes and that not everything that you see in an Instagram post uh, is reality. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I mean, that's why I shared, I decided, you know, people think I'm polished as nutrition with Judy. And even as a consultant, my ex-boyfriend used to go, when he found out I had an eating disorder, he was like, thank God you're not perfect. And I was like, that's the first thought you had after me telling right. you about an eating disorder. Um, anyway, that's so, why he's an ex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, and so we aren't perfect. And that's why I hate that on social media, we, you know, obviously we portray our best. And I thought, hey, if I share a lot more of the past of whatever happened to me, then it could show you like, this is how far I've really come. And yes, there are days that maybe I'll struggle, maybe I'll go back down and, you know, get more snacks when I should be just not, you know, leaning on food. But that is reality. It's, um, it's an ongoing healing process. And to say that people are just magically fixed, I think there's a lot more to the story. And I have a hard time believing that. I mean, um, I don't see it in my clients. I don't see it in me and my even my parents, right? As much as they healed, like I see them want something sweet. So they'll get like keto ice cream once in a while, right? So there's this balance. But I think um, that's why your message, Laura, is so important where I don't share a ton of my lifestyle, right? I don't share my personal story that much, but you do. And so when you show, even if it's like, you're not really trying to show so that people give you sympathy, but just to show like, hey, guys, not Three, every day, 365 right. days is perfect, but I still go through struggles and this is real life. And it gives people more reality. Maybe some people don't want to see all of that, but it's just, you know, when people are struggling, it gives them hope that, hey, um, life, it's not perfect. And that's what we always try to talk about. But I think that's part of the reason why I struggled so much in 2020, because the first couple years. I mean, I spent so long just saying like, if I could only lose weight and then I'll be fixed and then I can go back to normal or, and obviously I gained weight back every single time over the years with that. But then I thought like, well, I'll just lose the weight and stick to this and then it will get easier. And then one day I'll just click and everything will be easy from now on. And I think, you know, I kind of had my bubble burst a little bit that in 2020 of like, no matter how long you're doing this, like it's not all of a sudden going to be perfect and easy and simple. And that was a really hard emotional time for me. I felt like I spent a lot of time grieving right over this, like there's no magic moment where all of a sudden your issues with food are fixed. And like, you know, I definitely had some regressions last year because of that. And I feel like I've had a lot more learning and healing internally that I've had to do over the last year. You know, I've talked a lot about that, but I've had to kind of put my focus in myself and healing in myself and like what I can do and what I'm capable of and what my personal needs are and, and not trying to mirror anything else that I see or think that, that it's going to, that my journey is going to be like anybody else's. And it was a hard moment for me to realize that, but it also has been a really great thing for me to try to just figure out what I need. Um, and that's where hopefully I can find some long-term success and health and mental ease, uh, in all of this, even though my journey is not going to look like anybody else's. Yeah. But I think what's so important about your journey is that going through these experiences and I've seen you grow myself through this whole journey. And I think that with like any new diet, right, we hear that 
like a vegan diet or a juicing diet or like this carnivore diet or keto diet, right? It's like everyone magically loses all this weight, right? And, and so we have these kind of mythical beliefs in these diets. And then, and then we have like kind of things shatter where we realize, oh, it's not as magic bullet, or it doesn't work as perfectly, or all of a sudden, now I'm, I'm having a hard time keeping the weight off or whatever the reasons are. And then we kind of go through this disillusionment or grieving period where we realize, oh, it wasn't all what it's cracked up to be. And this could really be about anything. And then you have to kind of find the balance of like, okay, well, we know for sure that carnivore is a very healing diet. Maybe it's not going to be as easy as you can eat all the meat you want and you'll be as super thin as you want. But maybe there's a way that we can balance that, right? So um, honor your hormones, honor your, uh, maybe you have to do a little bit of the hard work with the food addiction side, but maybe we have to incorporate fasting or maybe I have to incorporate a little bit of working out. And so I went through a similar disillusionment, right? Where so I think, before I just followed all these rules. And then I realized it didn't work for me. And that's when I became very, very anti dogma in the carnivore space. And I was like, I want to break a lot of it, because I don't think a lot of it holds true for most people. And I went through that disillusionment, too. And so I was like, well, I'm eating the two pounds of meat, or I'm just eating OMAD, and I'm getting sicker, right? Um, My blood sugar is going up, I'm gaining weight. Like, what am I doing wrong? So I'm just going to carnivore harder. And it wasn't working. And, and then when I was finishing school, and then I, you know, I started tracking, and I just, um, let's put on my Judy brain and figure out what's going on. And I realized like this, you know, these rules don't work for me. And then I started to realize it doesn't work for a lot of people. So the whole point is that when you went through your disillusionment, it's good because it breaks dogmas in your mind of whatever you believed carnivore or keto or whatever the diet is. Um, And then, or even you just getting to a place of super thinness, and then you're going to just kind of coast from there. It's making you realize like this, you can achieve certain things, but you have to add the real life aspect of it. So it may require the hard work with your relationship with food, right? It may require that you may have to fast a little bit. Absolutely. And I think it also is different for me, depending on you know, how I'm feeling in the moment, like just because the, I figure out what works for me doesn't mean that's what's going to work for me forever. And you have to constantly yeah. keep changing and evolving. And, you know, just because I'm eating two meals a day right now doesn't mean that I should have been eating two meals a day the entire time. Absolutely not. I truly believe eating one meal a day is exactly what I needed for those three years to like get myself under control and do that. And even now, if I'm getting out of control with the snacking, like I have been over the last couple of weeks, I'm, I'm going to switch, go strict OMAD for about a week just to get my eating habits under control. And then I can break back into two meals. And so, you know, what I'm doing this week may not necessarily be what I need to do next month or six months from now. And And it's also, I would say, one of the main reasons why I personally don't do any kind of coaching um, or give any kind of advice because I have no idea what I'm even doing. And I'm still figuring out what works for me. How do I keep away the cravings long term? How do I keep myself at maintenance mode long term? I haven't done the research like you. I haven't gone to school like anybody else. I haven't put, I have a full time job that has nothing to do with nutrition, and I have a full time family. And you know, this is just me living my life. And so I'm very careful to not make that transition to telling other people what they should be doing or doing any kind of coaching because I have no expertise. And I still keep taking two steps forward and three steps back at times for myself. You know, the irony of everything you said, though, is that's what would make you a good coach. Not that you would ever do it. But I mean, I think the fact that you understand that for you, things change and you're mutable in a sense, right? That and that therefore you don't know what exactly would work for every single person. But knowing you personally and knowing that if you heard someone's story and how you can advocate for different things, that would make you an ideal coach. I I have no interest in you just the research that you do is uh, impeccable and not only like, yeah, you went to school, but like, I know the research that you do on top of everything else, even just if I text you, like I abuse that part of our friendship a lot and text you and say, by the way, I have a question. My mom's situation, my friend, a friend of my mom, who's this, what do you got? And then I know you go down this rabbit hole of helping and researching. That's well, thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all still are in this place of, I am a very non-empathetic 
empathetic person. That sounds terrible to say, but like, maybe this is the corporate side of me, but like, if somebody calls out sick, I never believe them. <laughs> like I'm the worst person. <laughs> and so I am this way for myself of, I just never believe my own excuses. Um, or if, you know, somebody calls out sick, whatever they are, I'm just in my head going like, okay, feel better. Like, I know I don't <laughs> believe you, but like people have legitimate, wonderful things about them. I just am a terribly non-empathetic person. So one of the reasons why I loved um, Andy Frisella is because he's very tough love. So when I'm down on myself and I'm like, boo-hoo, people are mad or people are, you know, whatever else. And I don't want to do stuff. Like he's like, you've cried for a second, put, put up your big pants and like move on and do your work and do all these things. And he gets like really ins- um, inspirational in that way of very tough love. I mean, basically you can do that coaching for people. That's one of the reasons why I love Cole Robinson so much of the mm-hmm. snake diet. And I always, I never bring up his name without preferencing me saying he is not PG rated. He is beyond, he's R rated. You have to be willing that he starts every video with like, Hey fatty, stop eating. And like, it's terrible. It sounds terrible. He, people hate him, but I needed that. I needed that a lot of the time I needed somebody to say, stop eating. You're not hungry. You will not die without food and you will be fine. And that was like this, like for somebody like me who doesn't need a warm hug to get feel better, I need somebody to literally kick me and say, get up and make it happen. That's the type of motivation that I need. And so he was the perfect person at that time to really um, help motivate me with fasting. Same thing. Like I'm a very physically lazy person. And so he does like stand up, stop sitting. You should never be sitting. You're so like... And I go through phases where I'll listen, like binge listen to all of his stuff and just get a stand up desk and do extreme standing because that's what gets me motivated. But not everybody is that way. Some people need love and encouragement and support. And you just have to figure out what works. So for my clients, there's some people, if I'm really nice, I notice that they take advantage of it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you need more of the tough love. And then when I do it, I get kind of on the meaner side. They're totally listening a little bit better. So definitely that. And then, you know, I've actually talked to Cole um, offline and he's um, he's a pretty nice person. It's just yeah. I think he realizes that, you know, he was sick at one point and then he got better and he realized that he, that tough love, you know, making yourself be super vulnerable, sending like, a, you know, pictures of less than ideal versions of you will motivate you enough. And that's his incentive. Um, to have people do that. So I, I get his way. But yeah, it's not for everyone. So yeah, you. I mean, it always goes back to you just have to find what works for you. In our household, Chris has to like, sometimes toe that balance of like, am I slapping the cheese out of your hand? Or am I loving and supporting you as your husband? And so like, which person do you want right now? And sometimes I'll like go grab a piece of cheese. And he's like, do you really need that cheese? And I'm like, leave me alone. I am a grown adult. I can make my own decisions. And then sometimes I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. Don't buy any more cheese. And I'm not gonna do that. And so he it usually treads very lightly at first to see which kind of person am I looking for. But he's also the first person to say like, hey, let's not buy cheese right now because I don't think you can handle that. <laughs> That's so funny. I have the same issues with Kevin. That's where he's always like, some days you're going to be open and some days you're going to get really upset. So I totally get that. Yeah. That's why they win awards for loving us just the way we are. Exactly. What else have you been kind of up to? I had to work like a lot of days in the last week um, and took advantage of it. I, I'm back in the office full time. Like I've been working from home for the last year and I'm back in the office full time. And so the first couple of weeks back, I was just eating out every meal and was that was kind of getting away from me. And so I m- decided I was going to pack my lunch every day while I had like a long week at work. Um, and so that was a good motivation then to say like, well, if I'm going to pack my lunch every day, I might as well record what I'm packing to hopefully give ideas. So I posted yeah. a video on like, what I pack for lunches. Um, I do those like what I eat videos quite a bit. And yet this one was more very specifically like what I'm packing for lunch that can be microwaved just because a microwaved steak is terrible. And I can't really eat like a re-microwaved. I mean, you eat air fryer steak, so you probably have no issues (laughs) eating a microwave steak. I can't do it. Okay. I'm too bougie. I can't do it. So this was a lot of stuff that you either could eat cold or could be my group. And so that was really good motivation for me to um, 
focus on packing my meals again. The only problem with that was I incorporated a lot of different variety throughout that to try. I usually keep things very simple, but in my efforts to try to like show some variety, um, I kind of bought too much cheese and ate a bunch of cheese and got a little crazy. So I think it's really helpful to share these because I get that all the time, you know, um, questions of, well, I work at a desk. Uh, what can I take for work? And I don't want to stink up the break room with uh, meat or fish or any of that. And so I remember a long time ago, you said that you eat your steak cold. I thought that was the weirdest thing. And then I tried it and I was like, oh my gosh, it's actually pretty good. So I always recommend that now. So when my clients are taking like hard boiled eggs, or they'll say that they're taking beef jerky, I'm like, you should try, (laughs) like cook a steak and then eat it cold. And it's actually not that bad. It depends on what kind of steak. Like I, uh, you know, our friend Linda, the carnitarian does cold leftover ribeyes, and she calls them a handwich, which I love. But I can't do that because it has like those big hunks of fat in it that Mm -hmm. are like globby. And I can't do that. I need something more like a skirt steak or a flap steak, like or a tri-tip that I sliced thin was one of the videos that I posted. Those things to me are mentally closer to like a deli meat or a steak that you would get on a steak salad, like a some kind of salad that I had back in the day and not just like this actual leftover steak. So those types of things are a lot easier for me to, to take to work. And then obviously anything that can just be eaten cold, like other things besides that. But So do you eat it straight out of the fridge? So usually I'll like set it out for like an hour and just let it kind of sit on my desk. So it's a little more like room temperature and not just like ice chilled. It's more like, you know, cold sliced tri-tip. So you're eating it and it's like thick, smoky, what would be like really thick roast beef from like if you went to the deli and asked them to slice it thick, it kind of tastes more like that. I do have this weird thing though where eating something cold doesn't fill me up. I don't know if this is, you tell me if this is actually real or not, but if I eat a bunch of cold steak, I always need a second meal afterwards. Or if I'm eating like cold leftover meat in some ways, or even cold eggs and I can't do hard boiled eggs. I just can't do it. They're just, I can't, but uh, you know, I just, I don't ever feel completely full. And so if all I had for lunch was cold steak, like that couldn't really be my OMAD. I really need um, a second meal that day as well. I haven't really looked into any like science in that, but um, I have noticed that if I eat something cold, I don't feel satiated in the moment, but I'll feel satiated later. So I'll notice, oh, I am actually full, but it won't feel like it was right away. So I understand that feeling that you're talking about. Maybe it's something to do with our body temperature and just, you know, that's why in during the winter cold months, if we have like a warm bowl of soup, we feel like we're comforted and satiated. Maybe it's something to do with that. I'm not really sure. Oh, that's interesting thought. Yeah. You can always try a little bit of um, maybe hot water. I don't know if you want to try that with like a little bit of lemon so that it's not fully cold and then see if that will help at least, you know, train your brain to think that you're more satiated and you feel uh, more complete. Yeah, there's other kinds of meats that I like as well that are just not beef or not steak that I can reheat. Um, and so I showed some examples of that. But there's a lot of like something like a pork or chicken and all those things are much better reheated. Um, or even ground beef, if it's mixed with something else, it doesn't isn't as weird. But this like cold reheated microwave steak just has like a funky taste to it. I, I know what you're talking about. I mean, I yeah, I'm not super picky, <laughs> but yeah, I do think um, microwave steak there's like a certain smell to it, right? Or like a yeah. certain... It does help encourage me to plan ahead uh, to my weekend meals. Like when am I off? When am I eating a really good steak? Like if it's Thursday and I know I have two more days of eating leftovers at work, but on Saturday, I'm going to get this incredibly grilled. Like I, this is why I just need to be excited and look forward to what I'm going to be eating because I can, I will never be somebody who's like few, food is fuel food has no enjoyment for me. Like this is part of the reason why the carnivore diet works for me is because I get to eat delicious steaks all the time. And when I'm not enjoying my food, I start getting temptations. And then the pizza that they've delivered on Friday after eating five days of like not that exciting cold leftovers or microwaved meat, that donuts on Friday and that pizza that somebody brought to the office. And I know I'm going to a party that night that's going to have cake at it. Like all of those things are way more tempting to me when I'm not enjoying the food that I'm eating. And so that's maybe when I would splurge and go out and order a restaurant steak or eat some carnivore snacks that are pricey, but I really enjoy them. Or it's just 
getting myself excited for what I'm going to be eating tomorrow. Like hang on till tomorrow because then you're going to have this delicious ribeye and you're going to have this amazing thing that you can grill and kind of making those times an experience that I can look forward to. I wonder if you were are feeling the cravings by like a Friday because I mean, you just mentioned that you don't eat a lot of the fattier cuts during lunch because you don't like reheating it and then you may have to eat it cold. And so if you're eating leaner meats, you may not feel satiated. And that's not just like your mind is tricking you because it's cold, but just because there's less fat. Like I definitely, if I eat, I don't know, like maybe even T-bones with less fat on it or New York strips with less of the fat, um, I definitely feel like I want to go back to the pantry or I'm not as satiated if I'm eating like ribeye with a tablespoon of butter on top of it. So there is a difference. And I wonder if it's more not the the temperature, but more of the fat content of your lunches. That's a really good thought. Um, the other thing is we're talking made me think is that by Fridays also I'm exhausted and my sleep usually True. suffers like way worse as the week goes on because my weeks get busier, my days get longer and my nights get shorter. And I feel like I'm trying to pack more into the week. And so I think, I think, do think it's those two things combined where I'm not sleeping as much. You know, I usually try to get eight hours and I'm doing that on a Monday night, but by Friday night, I certainly am not doing that just because my need to like stay up later and decompress usually outweighs my desire to go to sleep early. And so, um, that, and like you said, having lower fat content, you know, if I'm anything that I eat out in a restaurant because it's cheaper tends to be burger patties. Um, and then I eat a lot of chicken reheated. So the two of those things combined, it kind of depends now that I'm doing two meals, maybe I'll have a steak in the evenings, but I do think you're right. Cause sometimes I'll just come home and like have some eggs, which are also very lean. Yeah. Um, in, in theory, where if you're just having a bunch of eggs, it kind of, uh, I think those two things combined definitely make sense. Yeah. And the sleep is huge because I mean, I was going to say, did we do a podcast on sleep? But I don't think we did. Um, no, we both listened to the same podcast about sleep. And I think we talked about it later. And we were like, we. I think we just had an offline conversation about that. Okay. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm starting to blur the two. But um, yeah. So if you don't get enough sleep, your your cortisol runs higher, your blood sugar runs higher. And then it's harder to not want these sugary foods. So it totally happens. So yeah, that that's something to kind of take a look at. Maybe for lunch, you uh, maybe just take a like a little pat of butter and see if that helps a little bit. But I think the sleep is a big one. That's one of those other things too. Like I don't understand people that can just eat butter plain, like it's ice cream or like it's raw. Like some people are like, I'm addicted to snacking on butter. But to me, that's yeah. like those... What's those strange addictions? Like, I can't stop eating butter. Like, I don't understand that. But it's a real thing. It's a very real thing. The closest that I get is I'll take some, like, softened of my bougie whipped salted butter and dip carnivore snacks in it um, or something like that. But I just, I still couldn't, like, slice off a pat of Kerrygold and eat it plain. Like, I don't understand. That, to me, is as weird as, like, somebody eating fingernails. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so sometimes I'm, like... I want something. So then I'll just sometimes slice off a little piece of butter and then just let it kind of melt in my mouth and see if that kind of takes care of it. But it, yeah, I think it tastes good. Chris has this theory with my cheese snacking is that when I eat leaner cuts of meat, it's my body craving fat. And so while I'm not just like emotionally craving snacking, maybe it turns into that, but it really starts with my body is craving some extra calories and fat. So I cut down, cut out the snacking. And then I look at my meals, but my meals are lean meats. And so if I eat so lean, then my body's craving all this extra calories and fat. And so I end up eating, I make the bad choice of making that cheese rather than just ensuring that my meals have enough adequate fat and calories. So I think, you know, people, there's a lot of people out there that eat random butter, and that's probably better for you to kind of get those extra calories in than something like cheese. Um, or even cream or something else. But yeah, no, I, I bet that's what's happening. I mean, cheese is really high in fat. And you know, not everyone believes that the casomorphins in cheese are addictive. But I mean, the tendency is that most people are, you know, once they eat cheese, they can't stop eating cheese. So yeah, I bet you it's a combination of both. But there is a lot of fat. And it's something just easy to kind of grab and go, right? So like, at the end of the day, when you're tired, it's just easy to kind of grab that. You should just see if, um, you know, like there's a week where uh, you add a little bit higher fat and I don't know how you'll do that. Maybe, 
I mean, I would say either add some cheese or add a little bit of fat that maybe you could tolerate, or maybe you just do a few days of just testing some of the higher fat um, carnivore snacks and then see if some of the satiation goes away. But then also like monitor your sleep too and see which lever will help you more. Will it be the lever that you sleep better or is it the lever that you need more fat? And maybe both of those are combined. Like maybe sometimes I'm not sleeping well because of the fact that I'm not getting adequate um, fat and calories and energy throughout the day. And so then I'm kind of feeling drained, but then snack at night and those kind of things. I think that matters, which is also, I think, I think the context of everything that we're going through is so much more than just food. And I also think that's why, like we talked about, you know, a little disillusionment earlier. I think that when we try to mirror so much other people, then that really, there's so much context, not only that you don't see, but that you do see. And and we just, there's context that I have that I don't even know about. And that, you know, I can't, I don't share sometimes because maybe I'm not aware of what's going on. Maybe I don't know that I, I mean, I know currently in my life, I'm going through a very stressful season. And so anything that's going on with me right now is related to that, I'm sure. But it's also not something that I'm talking about all the time. And so, you know, if I'm sharing stress and struggles and my food adjustments and things that I'm doing, like there's a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes that I'm not necessarily talking about every day that people may not know. And so it's why it's important for us to learn all these tools, learn about protein sparing modified fast and regular fasting and high fat and low fat and high protein and yet not try to mirror other things exactly because we don't know all of the context behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. And also just from our metabolic health, right? So some people could start carnivore when they're really young, some start really old and have metabolic disease. So you just have to figure out what works for you. Let's get into the conversation that we were planning on getting into with all of this. Um, You know, we were just going to do a recap of the meat podcast. I mean, for the very first time we had someone, uh, we had a guest, Uh, we normally just have just us two kind of talking and yeah, going through topics. And so this time we just wanted to bring someone on because we, first of all, wanted to just understand why are our meat prices going up? um, And we don't really have a lot of the knowledge of that. And so for you, Laura, what were some of the, I guess, the takeaways or aha moments or anything that you um, felt from the, the discussion? Yeah, I mean, this is something, let me just say first too, the you and I really wanted to get into this topic and we've been talking about addressing it ourselves, but yet we agreed that neither one of us was really an expert on the subject. Right. And, you know, we are both affected greatly by beef prices rising and the supply chain issues that are happening in the beef industry. We saw, you know, at the beginning of COVID, the supermarkets were empty and now beef prices are going higher. Like why are those things happening? And so um, having Paul on was a great time for us to, really dig into what's happening. So the biggest thing for me was just finding out where the bottleneck is happening. And he talked a lot about how that's in the packing plants and the consolidation of that. And my biggest question to him was like, is that happening from legislation? Is the government inspections like, are those things where it's slowing down? But he, the way he explained it um, with just the consolidation of the packing plants from the low interest in beef in previous years Um, that dip in the beef industry made a lot of sense. Uh, And so now that beef is at an all-time high, right? Beef demand is higher than it's ever been before, which is good. I don't know. We can talk about that in a second, but that's that was really exciting to hear that from him uh, as far as like the vegan marketing that's going on. (laughs) Right. But to hear that, you know, the supply chain still has to be able to ramp up to where the demand is currently. And so there's this massive supply and demand problem, which is causing our prices to go higher in the grocery stores. I mean, I know he said that this is kind of the peak of it being high, but in my mind, I'm just like, I don't know if I believe that. Just well, because... especially because today when we're recording this, all that information today came out about the hack in the, um, what's it called? The cyber hack on the meat industry and on the packing plant. So the largest packing plant in the world uh, okay. had a cyber hack on it. The same way that in a few weeks ago, the East Coast did as far as the gas prices. And there was that hack, cyber hack into the gas pipelines. Uh, right. The same thing happened to the beef industry. And so I we still have yet to determine like, you know, they've been down for the last couple of days. So is that going to cause another spike or not? Um, 
I haven't dug too much into it, to be honest, at this point. And I'm kind of just waiting to see. So I think we don't know. It was reassuring to hear him say he thinks this is the peak of the prices. But with some other factors that have happened since we recorded, I'll be interested to see if that's true. Yeah. And also, if the government keeps giving, from what I heard, they're considering doing like monthly payments out to people. And if that happens, I mean, there's going to be less people that will want to work. So I'm hoping what he said is true and that our meat prices won't go up. Um, but I do see like just on average, the meat, even at the grocery store is like a, do- a dollar per pound more expensive than just last year. And so hopefully it doesn't. But I think over that's for like the ground beef prices, for sure, for the higher, more expensive things like ribeyes that I've been looking at. It's more like two or three dollars more a pound currently, like Costco. Their ribeyes are usually like 10 to 11 dollars a pound. And right now they're 13 to 14 dollars a pound. Um, So that was definitely a big increase. We've been kind of staying away from those. I will say the good thing, though, is over Memorial Day, all of the meat sales were pretty much in line with what they were last year. So what they're choosing to put on sale during their cyclical sales Sure. is still being the same. Um, so we'll see what hap- continues to happen with that over the next few months. It'll be interesting. Um, what made sense to me, because, you know, I always said, let's support our local farmer. And then how we were talking about how you said, well, I feel like I'm supporting my grandpa by supporting the grocery stores because that's, you know, it's kind of this big um, supply chain. And and I understand it. And so I still think supporting your local farmer helps because they just get more of the pie, right? Or whatever we want to call it. But more of the cow. Right. <laughs> but um but if we don't support the grocery stores, then the bigger supply chain can crash, right? And so that's where I understand now that we all have a role in that too, right? So if there's just less demand, there will be less supply and then meat prices will go up even for the grain fed. And so And then there will be less people that will buy like your grandfather's cows, right? So all of that stuff, I understand it. And it's just, it's not a simple, we'll just treat, like support your neighbor because your neighbor can't support everybody, right? So that's where it's, it's such a sticky situation. So I still kind of, my thing, my takeaway is I don't feel bad at all to buy from the grocery stores. um, But I also will support my farmer, John, because I know he gets for every egg, every, you know, milk I buy from him, he will get far more than if he were to go through a middleman. But I also the grocery stores also still feed many, many farmers all throughout the country. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's if I lived in a place that I had access to the type of beef that I wanted to eat and also the eggs and I would be supporting them. I think it's great to have both options. And I think it's also great to do both things. You buy meat from the grocery store and you support your local farmer. If I lived in West Virginia, I would be buying eggs and chickens and all those things from my relatives who all live there and sell those products. But they also couldn't feed everybody. And I live in Phoenix in this massive environment. There's not a lot of local farmers in Phoenix. uh, And there's not a lot of ranches and stuff in this world. So there's not local farmers that could support this place where I live. And so knowing that I can shop at a local grocery store and have that support, um, support US beef and is healthy. It's, it is um, environmental still. It is cost effective. Like there's not this that's the biggest takeaway. I think it's great to support your local farmers and ranchers in whatever aspect that looks like for you. But I also just don't want people to think that it's a concession to shop at the grocery store if they can't do that other thing. Right. Uh, and realizing that both things are ideal. You can do both or you can do one or the other. And you are supporting your own body. You're supporting yourself. You're supporting your health and your family and your, and your you know, the, the beef industry here. Yeah, I think we came to the same conclusion. Um, The other thing that I thought was really interesting was, um, you know, we were talking, I think we were talking about fats, um, animal fats, and how he said that, um, you know, it was demonized decades ago, and then people stopped eating um, animal fats as much. And he was like, it's not bad. And then there was like a pause. And then he's like, in moderation. And then I think you and I kind of gave each other a look like, no, there should be no moderation. But it just shows me that as much as you know, he's an advocate for meat, meat, he sees the full supply chain process from, you know, getting these steers from certain ranchers, farmers, and then all the way to the market and how our grocery store and how it gets there. There's still this 
well, maybe we, and he believes that, you know, saturated fats and animal fats are good for us, but only to a certain extent. And that's why I was like, oh, let me send you my book because I really felt that, oh, within the industry, like there's still some aspects that maybe wondering if like having too much meat or saturated fats, like as long as it's in moderation, it's okay. Do you know what I mean? There's still a little yeah. bit of the stigma. They don't believe it as much as the kind of mainstream media is saying. I think it's just the belief in the food guide pyramid. Like that's the thing that you learn as a child, those belief. Yeah. And then every everything outside of following the food guide pyramid is somehow you being on a diet. And, right. and you're doing something temporary and you're doing something that's a fad or you're doing something like... I know you've had that amazing graphic about the carnivore food guide pyramid, but for people to actually believe and truly think from a core level that that's the way that we should be eating, not just like this is the diet and this is the temporary way that you can eat or the individual way that you're eating and not a nationwide understanding. I think people are still really tied to that uh, idea of the traditional food guide pyramid. Yeah. And if you, I mean, I guess if you eat carbs, then you do have to lower your fats because you can't do both. And then that can cause insulin resistance. So maybe that's why, why they because I mean, we didn't pick his brain about why he believed that in moderation or why he decided to use the word moderation. Right. So, I mean, it, I guess it really depends. But it was very apparent that it's really hard to break free from the ideologies of the standard American diet. Right. So we think we can still play in that pyramid, like you said, or I guess they call it my food plate now. Um, but it's hard to break away from that because we think it's right. And it's just not. Yeah. One thing that we, when we ended the podcast or ended the recording, we were still talking with Paul. He mentioned that he was surprised that we didn't bring up like the environmental aspect of our cow methane you know, hurting the environment and what's sustainable for greenhouse gases caused by cows. And we kind of just said, like, I think most people that would listen to our podcast, we know that's debunked. Like, you're probably not listening to our podcast and finding us in this way of life if you think that cows are contributing to greenhouse gas issues and if you're still believing those myths. And so we really didn't want, we wanted to get more in with him about the supply chain and the kind of the broken system or where things are need to be fixed and the, and the meat prices in the grocery store uh, and not so much about the cows and the methane. We know, you know, organic farms, monocropping is way worse for the environment. Uh, I think yes. anybody listening to this would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, the cows do have like 2% or less uh, on the greenhouse gas in total U.S. emissions, but in general, yeah, it's they're not the the reason at all. And um, I'll I'll in the links I will put one blog post I wrote about um, just some of the greenhouse gas information. It's also in Carnivore Cure, but I mean, literally, you can look it up, and I'm sure a lot of uh, websites have the carnivore information on greenhouse gas emissions and how it's just not about the meat. I mean, the basic thing you could think of, so simple, is that during the pandemic when everyone was on lockdown the cows were never on lockdown and it was everywhere that the skies were clear that for the first time you could see cities that you couldn't see because the, the skies were full of smog and you could see it. And it just shows that maybe it's not the cows, maybe it's not the animals. Right. And right. there's studies where it shows that removing all animals would really make very little of a dent. So that's the reason we didn't talk about it. We said in the very early on that we would never, kind of repeat stuff on this podcast because there's many more podcasts that are probably more scientific that can share this information right. than us too. Yeah. It's not something I'm worried about. And so we're not, we, like Judy said, there's better people to listen to if you, if you want to learn and research that and you can start with the blog post Judy is going to link. And after that, you can really dig into some great research, but I think we're confident in that. Um, so meat prices are up, meat prices are higher. Like, what is that looking like? What are you doing differently in your family or how are you adjusting to that right now, Judy? Yeah. So one thing we did is we ordered a, or we reserved a quarter steer. And so it's literally been like three months. And so I'm just waiting for it. It's yeah. um, being processed right now. They said probably in a week that I can go pick it up. And so we'll have, um, I think like 130 pounds of meat. So I'm very excited for that. 
But in terms of the grocery store, so now I buy on sale, right? So I will make sure. And if um, steak is on sale, I'll try to get some and then I'll freeze it. And then we use the air fryer. <laughs> so uh, we'll do that a lot. We, I, I buy a lot of ground beef now for my kids. So I'll make um, beef patties at home. So um, this last time I bought five pounds of ground beef at the the fattiest cuts, which is the most desirable for our family. And so we got like the 73% lean, I think. Um, and so then I just mashed it up, added some cheddar cheese to it and a little bit of bacon. And so we made patties and it tasted different than just eating ground beef the same every single day. And so that's the patties um, we've been eating lately. Um, and then just recently, like I'll look at the meats that are on sale. So there was a meat that was on sale. It's some kind of pork. It was $2. And I was like, oh, it looks good. We bought it. It was really cheap. We froze it just like our steak. And it actually tastes pretty good. And so now we've been doing stir fries. We've been just eating it through the air fryer. But is it white, like a big white log of pork, like a almost like a white meat in a log shape? Or what does it look like? No, it was like cut like a steak. Oh, okay. So probably just like pork tenderloins. Yeah, like pork tenderloin chops. Yeah, no bone <laughs> on them or anything. You're good. Describe the meat to me and let me name this cut. That should be our new game. I know. I'm so bad. I just buy like what looks good and... um. I just, yeah. You know what it is? It's because I was raised by Korean parents that had no idea what names were. And so they would just go and look at the marbling and they're like, oh, it looks like the Korean meat they ate in Korea. And so I kind of just followed suit and never learned the true names of meats. It's so horrible. But that just goes to show you, no matter how you cook it, you chop something up small enough, it's going to make a really good <laughs> stir fry no matter what. Um, you know, it just is all about how you cook it and you don't have to get all crazy um, with what cuts of meat and, and being really specific with everything. You chop something up small and just cook it in a skillet. It's, anything's going to taste good. We will buy ribeye. Um, if it's not on sale, I'm not buying it lately just because I think I'm just frugal like that. So I've just been being more, um, I guess, adventurous with the kind of meats I'll eat. I mean, I'm the heaviest carnivore in the family. And then our kids, I mean, they really eat whatever I make. So I'll just, um, we'll just buy variety. And then my husband's pretty accommodating too. So he'll eat it too. So we've just been, I guess, diversifying our meats. And that has uh, been a way. Uh, we used to only buy organic pasture-raised chickens. And I've been a little bit more lenient about that. So now if I could get the ch- um, the eggs from our uh, farmer, we get it there. Um, and he, it's pretty economical there. And then, um, and then sometimes we just get regular eggs. I mean, I just kind of get a mix and match. I think after learning about so much vitamin A, about the amber egg yolks, about so many things, I'm just like, you you know what, once in a while, if I get the standard eggs, no big yeah. deal. So we just kind of go with the mix and that also helps economically. Yeah, definitely. I went probably, I would say a year and a half, never eating any eggs whatsoever. And I've had more, I mean, maybe rarely, but in the last three months, I've had more eggs than I did in that year and a half <laughs> combined. Like, I think part of that is when you're eating two meals a day, you feel like you can have a smaller meal of like eggs and bacon yes. a lot more often or eggs and ground beef or something. So um, that almost has been more affordable to me to eat two meals because I can eat two things that are cheaper versus when I was eating one big meal to get in the fat content and the calorie content that I needed to in one big meal. You can't eat enough eggs and bacon to equal an adequate amount of calories in one meal. I can stuff myself to the gills with eggs and bacon and it's maybe a thousand calories. And so if that's my only meal of the day, it's just not enough um, food for me. And so um, what eating two meals, I do find I can eat cheaper because to be able to, you know, sustain myself on one meal a day, I needed ribeyes essentially. Yeah. Um, so I'm eating a lot less of that and eating a lot more chicken, pork, eggs, bacon, ground beef. I went years without eating ground beef. And now I'm eating it in like a little taco bowl or eggs and ground beef and and doing some other things uh, with ground beef that I didn't used to do. And then I'm still enjoying some really fancy steaks, you know, for several reasons. I don't get the Costco steaks anymore because they're just too expensive for me at this point. Um, I'll still get a Walmart steak. Walmart has really great ribeyes that are pricier than when something else is on sale. You know, I can get them cheaper on sale at like the other grocery stores, but Walmart's quality is better. So if I want to splurge, I feel like at this point I'm eating a Walmart ribeye, which are amazing quality. If you haven't tried them, get the ones in the black package. Um, it's so bizarre because I, so I never buy my steaks at Walmart and maybe it's because they don't really go on sale, 
But right. you would never, you know how Walmart is known to be like right. um, a great deals, great value, right? That's their brand. Their generic brand is called great value. And so I would never think, oh, they would have great quality meats, but it's interesting because I mean, they're one of the largest uh, meat buyers and them Costco. Yeah. Costco is the largest meat buyer in the nation. And Walmart is also like another one of the top ones. That makes a lot of sense. And so when you said that, I went and then I perused their uh, ribeyes and I was like, oh, it does look really good, but it was still too expensive. They're pricey. So that's where my splurges. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, I am blessed that I have companies that send us meat um, and that's really high quality, like something that's out of my normal daily budget, but we get to try that and cook about it and I get to share. So those are things that are, that are a blessing in this kind of weird world that we're in. Um, so kind of my splurges come from you know, gifts from the, from companies that send meat to us. But as far as like balancing our budget, it's definitely been eating eggs way more often than I used to, um, bacon, ground beef. And then I try to incorporate, I still, I need my steaks every week, but it's trying to break that up and not eat them every single day. Uh, and maybe I'll have also to like get a two pack of smaller steaks and eat one on two different days, um, mixed with some bacon or chicken. I'll have a ribeye and some chicken and something on the side to kind of help spread those out. You know, one thing, the random fact, but when I was interviewing with the the Korean international broadcasting system, I asked, the journalist has interviewed for 20 years. So I asked him, I said, from all the interviews you've done, what would you say is the perfect diet? And so he said, um, and the reason I'm bringing this up right now is because you said that you're eating smaller meals, but he said one of the things was to eat less. Um, he says that I think as Americans, we eat a lot more than we need to. So one is to kind of reduce um, total caloric intake. And now for all the under eaters, that is not saying to eat less. Um, and then the second thing is, um, he said anti-inflammatory diet. And I was like, oh, carnivore is totally anti-inflammatory. You should check your CRP. And then he gave me this look like, what is that? But anyway, so um, and then the other thing he said was um, and low carb. So he yeah. and no sugar. Um, so I was like, oh, you should totally do carnivore, right? But I think he still believes in the fiber. But um, but it was interesting because when you were saying that you eat less. So yeah, I think that, I mean, I definitely, I feel that I eat less than when I first started carnivore. Now I make sure to eat enough calories, whether it's like adding extra fat or making sure I'm eating like an extra snack because I don't want to lose my hormones. So, but you know, sometimes we do overeat and I know that's not everyone, but it's just, um, I guess sometimes it's okay to not eat so much in a day and it's, you know, and we're, we'll survive. I mean, that's definitely my issue. I still have to be, if I'm eating two meals a day, I hundred percent cannot be having any snacks outside of that. Cause I will just not stop eating. And it's still this balance where sometimes I have to just stop doing two meals a day and go back to one meal for a few days just to like get myself from overeating so much. Um, Cause sometimes I just start eating and can't stop like I yeah. dinner and then after dinner, then you just start grazing after you've just finished your whole meal. And the next thing you know, you've just grazed a, you know, a thousand calories over the course of the evening. And not that I track that, but I'm just saying like, you know, yeah. four or five pieces of cheese and then a handful of this and a handful of that. And those things all add up. But you have to recognize that you've come this far, right? So to even yeah. recognize that whole process, because not everyone gets that. So, I mean, have, you know, like, just give yourself grace that you understand that about yourself and just figure out like some days you're still going to be w willing to graze, right? You're like, not today. I just don't care, right? And you'll just graze. And then some days you just can stop it. You just got to find that balance because now you have all the tools and it's just figuring out, you know, when you're going to use them and not. And that's kind of that balance. And that's how it is. It's for me, it's saying like, I'm eating this cheese today. Like once I bought the cheese and I opened the cheese, like, guess we're going to eat this cheese. <laughs> There's no shame in that. I'm not sitting here like, uh, at first I was like, all right, well, here we go. Oops, I did it again. Right. Um, <laughs> but at that point, it's like, okay, now how are we going to do? What's my plan to move forward? I'm going to take a break. I said no cheese for June. It's not a strict hard. Like if I got a burger patty from a restaurant and they put cheese on it, I would eat it right now. It's not a dogma that it's just, I have to, I can't snack on cheese for the next month. I got to get myself back to those good habits uh, and make sure that I'm not eating anything like that outside of my meal time. I got to set some boundaries for myself. Um, I'll, maybe that's it. Maybe it's calling them boundaries for me instead of rules or challenges even um, just to make it a little more sustainable for me. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. Um, I know that you have a ketone monitor. You should track your glucose in the morning with eating a lot of cheese. 
And the only reason I'm saying that is I used to do that. So sometimes I would just snack and I'm like, well, beef jerky and cheese is totally permissible on carnivore, right? right. Like that type of mentality. And so I would just eat a ton of it. And sometimes I, there were times my first year I would eat the full eight ounce block of cheese throughout the day and then other foods with that. Um, but then if you check your blood sugar, m- most likely than not, because there's trace carbs in cheese too, but it will make your blood glucose go up. So you should kind of take a look at that. It might also be the protein too. Yeah, I'm sure I have, but I also usually don't check it when I know I'm not going to like the results. <laughs> and so I just tend to stay like, this is not my friend today. We're going to stay away. I don't need this kind of negativity in my life. Um, but I have done it. Yeah, I've definitely seen that where um, I think also, you know, sometimes this is a total side note and not the tension of what we're supposed to talk about at all. But I think that our understanding of like what an ideal blood sugar should be first thing in the morning is a little skewed. Yeah. Uh, totally. And so I think we need to like stop thinking that a low number of blood sugar is an ideal number. And so if I wake up and my morning blood sugar is 90, like, okay, great. That's, I, that's in a healthy range. Uh, I don't know what's ideal. There's context. How well did I sleep last night? Like that's going to affect your blood sugar. Like what kind of stress am I under? what did I eat? Like you mentioned, there's so many factors to that. Um, sometimes I wake up and my blood sugar is 72 and sometimes it's 102 and it, I could have eaten the same thing two days in a row and yet had those two different results. Looking at glucose, um, I think years into carnivore, I wouldn't say right away, but years into being carnivore. And if your glucose fluctuates a lot in the mornings, if it's in the nineties on average, like honestly, my clients, there are a lot of them are there and they're not even eating a ton of protein. The context is going to be different. I would always check your A1C, check your C-peptide, check your CRP, all of these things to really know. And in context, is your blood glucose okay? But 90s is actually very normal with my clients. And I would say that they're pretty healthy. So if your blood sugars are 90s now when on keto, they were always in the 60s and 70s. That was me. But now my blood sugar on average, it's high 80s, low 90s, and I'm fine with it. So it's context. It's... um. Yeah. And I know a lot of people compare on social media and share numbers and they say like low 90s is not ideal, but see so many people like that's one of the first homeworks I make all my clients do is check their blood glucose. And when they're hitting their low 90s, high 80s, I'm happy with their blood glucose, honestly. Yeah. It's more like spiking after meals and uh, how how quickly does it return back to baseline? Like those are things that you want to watch. You know, yeah. when Chris was diabetic, his blood glucose was in the hundreds, like, you know, 250 and it would spike even once he had fixed it before he had completely reversed all of that, it would spike to, you know, 160 after a meal and then take a while to come back down to baseline. Like those are all major things you need to be aware of. Um, but your blood sugar is supposed to move. Yes. Yes. After I always say after a meal, your blood sugar should move a little bit. Same with when you work out. All of these things are normal insulin responses. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. So as we're wrapping up, I think if people are afraid of meat prices going up, there are ways to kind of circumvent that. I mean, one way, and I didn't realize, but yeah, our family is eating a lot more eggs too. And I just didn't even think about that. But I think it's because it's more economical. Um, Ground beef, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, If you have histamine intolerance, you can find, you can find a butcher that can chop it for you or cut it or grind it for you. Pork and chicken are also very affordable. And so rotating those in to make sure you're still getting lots of good quality beef fats and and lots of good calories and lots of good fats. But, you know, incorporating some chicken and pork as well helps to balance that budget. Yes, we sometimes buy um, the chicken rotisserie from Costco, and I think it's like less than $5. I don't like some of the seasoning. Sometimes I react, but in general, it's okay. And so, so the first round, we'll eat it like just bits and pieces, like we'll have the chicken leg and all of that. And then after, like I'll do like chicken salad, for the kids. So I'll add like um, some bacon mayo or sometimes we'll use avocado oil mayo. Um, And then we'll just, you know, or they'll use like the cheese crib outside or they'll use even like low carb tortillas. But yes, I mean, it becomes multiple meals. Yeah, I don't think this is is anything worth panicking over. I think it's just being more creative and finding how can you shop sales, plan ahead. Maybe you are in a position like Judy to purchase a portion of a cow to do some freezer stocking if you can. Um, to me, I never used to be able to eat a steak that was frozen and rethought until I got a, just cause it had a taste to it, Judy. I don't <laughs> laugh at me. It was, it tastes bad. But then when I got a vacuum sealer, um, mm. and started vacuum sealing them before I froze them, it made all the difference in the taste. And so 
that an investment like that has made it so I can buy meat when it's on sale and freeze it. And then uh, it goes a long way. That makes sense. All are, um, whenever I buy like quarter steers, they always, yeah, they're all packaged in these vacuum seals. And my quarter with the processing, I think it's ending up being about $5 a pound, but I'm also getting like bone marrow and oxtail, which are normally like $12 a pound, even for the grain fed variety. So, you know, it ends up being pretty economical. You just like, we're blessed and we're around so many farms. Um, So that's where it's easier for us, even for the raw goat's milk. But I know not everyone has that. Good. Well, hopefully, hopefully the last podcast with Paul put your mind at ease a little bit. And then this gave you some ideas on ways that you can stretch that budget. Um, And then we'll get into kind of sharing some more next time. Yeah. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps us to share real talk with more community members. You can also find my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Care in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura Eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find our YouTube channel by searching Laura Spath. Thank you again for joining us. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain.